Section six of the Underground Railroad Part five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad Part five by William Still section six portraits and sketches thomas garrett part three in a letter addressed to one of the sons william lloyd garrison pays the following beautiful and just tribute to his faithfulness in the cause of freedom boston january twenty fifth eighteen seventy one my dear friend I have received the intelligence of the death of your honored and revered father with profound emotions. If it were not for the inclemency of the weather and the delicate state of my health, I would hasten to be at the funeral, long as the distance is, not indeed as a mourner, for, in view of his ripe old age and singularly beneficent life, there is no cause for sorrow but to express the estimation in which I held him as one of the best men who ever walked the earth, and one of the most beloved among my numerous friends and co-workers, in the cause of an oppressed and downtrodden race, now happily rejoicing in their heavenly-wrought deliverance. For to no one was the language of Job more strictly applicable than to himself. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me, because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And I break the jaws of the wicked, and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. This is an exact portraiture of your father, a most comprehensive delineation of his character as a philanthropist and reformer. It was his meat and drink. The poor to feed, the lost to seek, the proffer life to death, hope to the erring, to the weak, the strength of his own faith, to plead the captive's right to remove, the sting of hate from law, and soften in the fire of love, the hardened steel of war. He walked the dark world in the mild, still guidance of the light, in tearful tenderness a child, a strong man in the right. Did there ever live one who had less of that fear of man which bringeth a snare than himself, or who combined more moral courage with exceeding tenderness of spirit, or who adhered more heroically to his convictions of duty in the face of deadly peril and certain suffering, or who gave himself more unreservedly or with greater disinterestedness to the service of bleeding humanity or who took more joyfully the spoiling of his goods as the penalty of his sympathy for the hunted fugitive or who more untiringly kept pace with all the progressive movements of the age as though in the very freshness of adult life while venerable with years or who as a husband father friend citizen or neighbor more nobly performed all the duties or more generally distributed all the charities of life, 
he will leave a great void in the community. Such a stalwart soul appears only at rare intervals. Delaware, enslaved, treated him like a felon. Delaware, redeemed, will be proud of his memory. Only the actions of the just smell sweet and blossom in the dust. His rightful place is conspicuously among the benefactors, saviors, martyrs of the human race. His career was full of dramatic interest from beginning to end, and crowded with the experiences and vicissitudes of a most eventful nature. What he promised he fulfilled, what he attempted he seldom or never failed to accomplish, what he believed he dared to proclaim upon the housetop, what he ardently desired and incessantly labored for was the reign of universal freedom, peace, and righteousness. He was among the manliest of men, and the gentlest of spirits. There was no form of human suffering that did not touch his heart, but his abounding sympathy was especially drawn out towards the poor, imbruted slaves of the plantation, and such of their number as sought their freedom by flight. The thousands that passed safely through his hands, on their way to Canada in the north, will never forget his fatherly solicitude for their welfare, or the dangers he unflinchingly encountered in their behalf, stripped of all his property under the fugitive slave law, for giving them food, shelter, and assistance to continue their flight. He knew not what it was to be intimidated or disheartened, but gave himself to the same blessed work as though conscious of no loss. Great-hearted philanthropist, what heroism could exceed thy own! For, while the jurist sitting with the slave whip o'er him swung, From the tortured truths of freedom the lie of slavery rung, And the solemn priest to Moloch on each God-deserted shrine, Broke the bondsman's heart for bread, poured the bondsman's blood for wine. While the multitude in blindness to a far-off Saviour knelt, And spurned the while the temple where a present Saviour dwelt, Thou beheldst him in the task-field, in the prison shadow dim, in thy mercy to the bondman, it was mercy unto him. I trust some one, well qualified to execute the pleasing task, will write his biography for the grand lessons his life inculcated. Yours in full sympathy and trust, William Lloyd Garrison. A contemporary who had known him long and intimately, who had appreciated his devotion to freedom, who had shared with him some of the perils consequent upon aiding the fleeing fugitives, and who belonged to the race with whom Garrett sympathized, and for whose elevation and freedom he labored so assiduously, with an overflowing heart of tender regard and sympathy, penned the following words, touching the sad event. Chatham, C.W., January 30th, 1871. To Mr. Henry Garrett. Dear Sir, I have just heard, through the kindness of my friend, Mrs. Graves, of the death of your dear father. The intelligence makes me feel sad and sorrowful. I sincerely sympathize with you and all your brothers and sisters in your mournful bereavement, but you do not mourn without hope, for you have an assurance in his death that your loss is his infinite gain, for he was a good Christian, a good husband, a good father, a good citizen, and a truly good Samaritan, for his heart, his hand, and his purse were ever open to the wants of suffering humanity, wherever he found it, irrespective of the country, religion, or complexion of the sufferer. Hence there were many more who mourn his loss, as well as yourselves, and I know, verily, 
that many a silent tear was shed by his fellow-citizens, both white and colored, when he took his departure, especially the colored ones, for he loved them with a brother's love, not because they were colored, but because they were oppressed. And, like John Brown, he loved them to the last. That was manifest by his request that they should be his bearers. I can better feel than I have language to express the mournful and sorrowing pride that must have stirred the inmost souls of these men of color, who had the honor conferred on them of bearing his mortal remains to their last resting place, when they thought of what a sacred trust was committed to their hands. We are told to mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace, and such was the end of your dear father, and he has gone to join the innumerable company of the spirits of the just, made perfect on the other side of the river, where there is a rest remaining for all the children of God. My brother, Abraham D. Shad, and my sister Amelia, join their love and condolence with mine to you all, hoping that the virtues of your father may be a guiding star to you all, until you meet him again in that happy place, where parting will be no more, forever. Your humble friend, Elizabeth J. Williams. From the learned and the unlearned, from those in high places and from those in humble stations, many testimonials reached the family, respecting this great friend of the slave, but it is doubtful whether a single epistle from any one was more affectingly appreciated by the bereaved family than the epistle just quoted from Elizabeth J. Williams. The slave's most eloquent advocate, Wendell Phillips, in the National Standard of February 4, 1871, in honor of the departed, bore the following pertinent testimony to his great worth in the cause of liberty. I should not dare to trust my memory for the number of fugitive slaves this brave old friend has helped to safety and freedom. Nearly three thousand, I believe. What a rich life to look back on! How skillful and adroit he was in eluding the hunters! How patient in waiting days and weeks, keeping the poor fugitives hidden, meanwhile, till it was safe to venture on the highway! What whole-hearted devotion, what unselfish giving of time, means, and everything else to his work of brotherly love! What house in Delaware, so honorable in history, as that where hunted men fled, and were sure to find refuge? It was the north star to many a fainting heart. This century has grand scenes to show and boast of among its fellows. But few transcend that auction block where the sheriff was selling all Garrett's goods for the crime of giving a breakfast to a family of fugitive slaves. As the sale closed, the officer turns to Garrett, saying, Thomas, I hope you'll never be caught at this again. Friend, was the reply, I haven't a dollar in the world, but if thee knows a fugitive who needs a breakfast, send him to me. Over such a scene, Luther and Howard and Clarkson clapped their hands. Such a speech redeems the long infamy of the state. It is endurable, the having of such a blot as Delaware in our history, when it has once been the home of such a man. I remember well the just pride with which he told me, that after that sale, pro-slavery as Wilmington was, he could have a discount at the bank as readily as any man in the city. Though the laws robbed him, his fellow citizens could not but respect and trust him, love and honor him. The city has never had, we believe, a man die in it worthy of a statue. We advise it to seize this opportunity to honor itself and perpetuate the good name of its worthiest citizen, 
by immortalizing some street spot shaft or building with his name brave generous high-souled sturdy outspoken friend of all that needed aid or sympathy farewell for these scenes in times to come when friendless men and hated ideas need champions god grant them as gallant and successful ones as you have been and may the state you honored grow worthy of you wendell phillips likewise in the national standard the editor aaron m powell who attended the funeral paid the following glowing tribute to the moral religious and anti-slavery character of the slave's friend on the twenty-fourth instant thomas garrett in his eighty-second year passed on to the higher life a week previous we had visited him in his sick chamber and on leaving him felt that he must go hence ere long he was the same strong resolute man in spirit to the last he looked forward to the welcome change with perfect serenity and peace of mind and well he might for he had indeed fought the good fight and been faithful unto the end he was most widely known for his services to fugitive slaves twenty-five hundred and forty-five he had preserved a record of and he had assisted somewhat more than two hundred prior to the commencement of the record picture to the mind's eye this remarkable procession of nearly three thousand men women and children fleeing from slavery and finding in this brave large-hearted man a friend equal to their needs in so critical an emergency no wonder he was feared by the slaveholders not alone of his own state but of the whole south if their human chattels once reached his outpost there was indeed little hope of their reclamation the friend and helper of fugitives from slavery truly their moses he was more than this he was the discriminating outspoken uncompromising opponent of slavery itself he was one of the strongest pillars and one of the most efficient working members of the american anti-slavery society he was an abolitionist of the most radical and pronounced character though a resident of a slave state and through all the period wherein to be an abolitionist was to put in jeopardy not only reputation and property but life itself though he rarely addressed public meetings his presence imparted much strength to others was weighty in the best quaker sense he was of the rare type of character represented by francis jackson and james mott thomas garrett was a member of the society of friends and as such served by the striking contrast of his own life and character with the average of the society to exemplify to the world the real genuine quakerism it is not at all to the credit of his fellow members that it must be said of them that when he was bearing the cross and doing the work for which he is now so universally honored they many of them were not only not in sympathy with him but would undoubtedly if they had the requisite vitality and courage have cut him off from their denominational fellowship he was a sincere earnest believer in the cardinal point of quakerism the divine presence in the human soul this furnishes the key to his action through life this divine attribute he regarded not as the birthright of friends alone not of one race sex or class but of all mankind therefore was he an abolitionist therefore was he interested in the cause of the indians therefore was he enlisted in the cause of equal rights for women therefore was he a friend of temperance of oppressed and needy working men and women worldwide in the scope of his philanthropic sympathy and broadly catholic and comprehensive in his views of religious life and duty he was the soul of honor and business his experience when deprived at sixty of every dollar of his property for having obeyed god 
rather than man, in assisting fugitives from slavery, and the promptness with which his friends came forward with proffered cooperation, furnishes a lesson which all should ponder well. He had little respect for, or patient with shams of any kind, in religious, political, or social life. As we looked upon Thomas Garrett's calm, serene face, mature in a ripe old age, still shadowing forth kindliness of heart, firmness of purpose, discriminating intelligence, conscientious, manly uprightness, death never seemed more beautiful. Why, what is death but life, in other forms of being? Life without, the coarser attributes of men, the dull and momentally decaying frame which holds, the ethereal spirit in, and binds its down. To brotherhood with brutes, there's no such thing as death, but so-called is but the beginning of a new existence, a fresh segment of the eternal round of change. A. M. P. End of Section 6 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida